Let me, let me ask you a question this morning before we jump in. Who knows somebody who's suffering right now? You may be suffering yourself. Yes, I, I think you could look around our world right now and you could say our world could be defined by suffering. There's a reason that, you know, the amens rain a little louder this morning in the room. It's because we look around us and we see people hurting. We see pain. We see difficulty. We're trying to navigate circumstances in life. And so this morning, um, I'm talking about how to have an eternal perspective of suffering. Now, I want to tell you up front, what I'm not talking about is I'm not going to explain why we suffer. Now, the Bible does talk about that. There's a whole message for that. But I'm going to argue this morning using Paul's words that we can have an eternal perspective of suffering even when we don't know why things are going on around us. And so as we do that this morning, I want to open it with an illustration um, because one, we probably had a little harder you know, restart than we have before because we're not doing the kids moment this morning. So I want to do something fun. I'm going to give you permission. If you're a kid in the room, adult, I'm going to let you yell in church. So this is one of those times you can actually do that here. And here's what we're going to do. I'm going to put an image up on the screen I like this one. This is, a, this is an example. I want you to tell me what object in the room this is. Now, I promise you every object on the screen is in the room. What is it? This is an easy one. It's the exit sign. Good job. Yes, exit sign. Thank you. All right, let's put the next one up there. They get a little harder as they go. What's this? It's the chairs. Okay, it's the chairs. All right, let's look at the next one. All right, this one's the hardest. What's this one? Yeah, if you, if you had ever been up here and preached, you would have an idea that this one is actually the podium, see? This is the podium. It's this little circle here in the middle of the podium. Yeah, not fair. I know. I'm sorry. All right, we got one more. What's this one? Yeah, it, a, little, a little better? Will you hear it? It's the cross. See, why would I show you these pictures this morning? Because perspective, because see, sometimes, these are called perspective images, but sometimes when we are in the middle of suffering, it is impossible to look at and have a broader perspective. But what Paul argues in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is that our perspective of suffering should pale in comparison to the eternal glory that we're going to experience in Christ. And so we're going to look at Paul's words this morning, but I show you that, one, because it's fun, and we don't have a kid's moment this morning, but secondly, because I want you to have an idea of what we're trying to do this morning. We're trying to broaden ourselves out of our perspective. We're trying to zoom out from the suffering that we may find ourselves in and say, what does God want me to think about in light of this suffering? What does God want me to focus on? So let's open our Bibles and stand to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 16 this morning. Paul ends chapter 4 by saying this. He says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal, glory, eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, this morning I pray um, as we look to your word. Um, Father, as we look around, and there's a lot of things to see around us, um, a lot of suffering, a lot of difficulty, a lot of strife. Um, Father God, that we can lean into the unseen. 
Um, but Father God, that you will remind us this morning um, that our suffering pales in comparison um, to the eternal glory offered in you. Help us have perspective this morning, Lord. In your son, Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, you can take a seat. So it's the beginning of quarantine, um, and, I, and I, I found myself to be in what I would say is a mild version of suffering. And, I, and I'll get to like, you're like, okay, 29-year-old kid, why are you talking about suffering? We'll talk more about that later. But 29 years old, you know, I'm at the middle, beginning of quarantine, and as everything begins, um, I'm actually coming off of walking pneumonia. Um, and so I am like utterly nervous, you know, just about getting the virus and anything. And who knows, I may have had the virus. I don't know. But, but that's kind of where I'm at. And, and I find myself, you know, I'm walking like around the neighborhood. We're going nowhere. And I am someone who is defined by being around people. Like that's just my world is I have to be around people all the time. And now that's not possible. It's not even allowed. So I'm at home. I'm struggling um, you know, and, and around that time, that's also when I preached on lamentation. So I guess you could say I've become the like struggle preaching pastor here. That's like, that's, that's what I'm tabbed for now is all the struggle topics. But so, so I'm, I'm reading through lamentations, but after I finished the book of lamentations about every podcast I listen to, they're like, pastors, if you're not reading second Corinthians right now, you're missing it. Like you need to be reading second Corinthians. Because see, 2 Corinthians is going to give you a perspective of what you're going through that the world absolutely needs to hear right now, and you probably need to hear it. And I'm like, yeah, I need to hear it. So I'm reading through 2 Corinthians, and man, if I could preach the whole book this morning, I absolutely would. But this portion of chapter 4, Paul gives us this argument to have a broader view of the suffering that we find ourselves in that gives us hope. And I, and I want to encourage us today that as we look at these words, just be thinking in the back of your mind, who needs to hear this hope in my life? And maybe you, but there are probably some other people that they need to know this perspective. So Paul begins um, this section in, in verse 7 um, by saying this. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Persecuted, but not driven to, to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to the death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So, death is at work in you, but life in you. See, what Paul is calling them to do, and this is the first point of the sermon this morning, is to have perspective in their suffering, to place it in perspective of the eternal promise that we've been offered in Christ. Now, he begins this passage talking about a clay jar. Now, a lot of you are my friends, and you know, well, you're all my friends. We all go to church together, but you're my friends on social media, and you might have seen this week that when I ordered this clay jar from Amazon, it came broken. It literally came with a broken handle on it. And someone was like, well, why didn't you like order one each service and break it on stage? I'm like, because that gets really expensive. I, I don't know if you knew. Clay jars aren't cheap. I was surprised. They should be cheaper because they're very breakable. Why does Paul use a clay jar? For a few reasons. Well, one, clay jars are incredibly common. There's nothing special about a clay jar. Nothing special about it. They're everywhere. In fact, it's one of the things that makes looking at ancient artifacts really difficult because they didn't use like 
things that would last long. They use clay jars that break everywhere. So they just find a lot of piles of clay jar and they have no idea what, what they mean often. But clay jars are incredibly common. Everybody has them. Obviously, they're incredibly breakable, as you can see. And see, the third reason he uses a clay jar as a descriptor for our bodies is this. He uses it because what matters is not what's, in the, what's on the outside of the jar or even the jar itself. What really matters is what the jar carries inside of itself. That's what has value, not the jar in itself. So Paul begins this very beginning, the very beginning of this section of Scripture, starting by saying, your bodies are breakable. In fact, your bodies are common, even the struggles you experience in them. A lot of people have probably gone through similar struggles that you're going through. But you know what? It's not your bodies that last. It's what's inside of them that matters. See, Paul gives this perspective, and if we can get this image up here on the screen, he's using this picture of a weight. See, what Paul says that in your struggling, in your struggle, you may be pressed, but you can't be crushed. You may be perplexed, but you will not be despaired. You may be persecuted, and let's stop there for a moment, because, see, persecuted to them, like, that was like a promise, like, it wasn't something where it's like, oh, you may have some persecution, you may not. It's like, no, they expected to be persecuted as the early church. Like, so Paul's saying to them, like, you're going to be persecuted, but guess what? In your persecution, you will not be abandoned. You may be struck down, but you won't be destroyed. Now, I don't know about you, but when I talk to people that are struggling, that are dealing with some really hard things in their life, these words on the left are things that often come up when I'm talking to them. You know, they may say like, man, there's just this weight that feels like it's pressing against me and I feel like I just can't get it off. I can't focus on anything else. Well, the truth is in Christ, you know what? You can't be crushed. I mean, your physical body may be crushed, but you cannot be crushed. Your suffering will not have the last word. You may be perplexed. Paul doesn't spend time in this section saying, let me tell you why you're suffering. Now, he does that. There's passages about that for sure. But in this second section, he says, you may be perplexed, but guess what? You will not be despaired. You may not know why things are going on right now in your life. You may look around and you may want to try to figure out how to solve everything. And I'm not saying that's a bad effort, but we will not be despaired, even if we can't come up with the answers to why we're going through what we're going through. You may be persecuted, but God will not abandon you. You may be struck down, but you cannot be destroyed. See, what Paul is arguing, he is saying, take your suffering and put it in perspective. This is a light and momentary affliction, he says. Now, anybody right now in the room that's listening to me, they're like, kid, you're 29 years old, you don't know suffering. I told you that earlier. I imagine that's what's going, going through your mind. That, that is okay. I think that's fair. In fact, my wife, um, when we were at Chili's on Wednesday night, she asked me the same question. She said, what gives you the authority to talk about suffering? <laughs> She's like, you haven't really experienced it. You sure you should be talking about this? And at first I was like, oh, that's a good question, but it's Wednesday. Um, but, but then, you know, <laughs> the more I thought about it, I was like, you know what? Man, I am just reading Paul's words to you this morning. And while my suffering, you know, my rap sheet for suffering may not be as broad as yours, Paul doesn't brag about a lot of things. 
Because again, bragging's not really the best quality to do. But one thing he does brag about is his suffering. He says, I have suffered more than most. Second Corinthians chapter 11, Paul puts it like this. And I love this passage. This is chapter 11, um, verse 23 through 28. Paul says, are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. All right, well, first off, you're like, what does that mean? Like, now, I love the tag he puts on this because we probably all have a problem with that statement. We're like, what does it mean to be the best servant of Christ? But Paul carries on, and he says, are they a servant of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman. And you're like, okay, all right, good, okay. I can accept that now. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less than one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, and dangers from the city, dangers in the wilderness, and dangers at sea, and dangers from false brothers. He continues. In toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from the other things, there's the daily pressure of me, um, on me of the anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? I am not weak. Who is made full, made to fall, and I am not indignant. See, Paul suffered more than most. You know, probably suffered the most out of almost any Christian that we see in the New Testament. And yet, Paul says that in the midst of my suffering, it pales in comparison to the eternal glory that I'm offered in Christ. That is the perspective that we're to have about the suffering that we're going through. Paul carries on in chapter 4, and I would say his second point is defined by this. It is believe in God's promises. See, suffering is one of those defining moments for us sometimes. You know, where, where, when we're going through something, you know, when you're crushed, you know, when you feel pressed in, you start to learn a lot about yourself. Suffering also gives us the opportunity to say, do I really believe in what God says about himself? Paul in verse 13 says it like this. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us with Jesus and bring us um, with you into his presence. For it is for, all, for your all's sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase in thanksgiving to the glory of God. What is this believing that Paul's talking about here? Well, Paul's quoting a psalm, first off. He's quoting a psalm, a psalmist who finds himself in an immense struggle. And the psalmist says, you know what? Even though I'm going through this horrible circumstance, I believe in God and I'm going to proclaim God in the midst of what I'm going through. That I'm going to have an eternal perspective about the suffering that's going on in my life. But what is this believing? See, our eternal perspective of suffering, what we believe in Christ, is that through Christ's death on the cross, that suffering will be no more one day. See, when we look at the world around us, 
When we look at the pain, we look at the hurt, we look at the racism, we look at people dying from disease, we look at all of these things, no matter how you define the struggle, no matter what it is, no matter what you think about it, in Christ we are promised a day where that is no more. Revelation 21 says it like this. It says, behold, I am making all things new. In Christ, we believe in an eternity where there is no more sickness, where there is no more pain, where there is no more struggle. The question is, in the middle of our suffering, do we still believe that? Now, sometimes that's a time where we shed that belief off, you know? See, what Paul says, I believe, and then secondly, he says, so therefore I speak. So we have to ask ourselves this morning, do we believe that to be true? Do we believe that there will be a day where suffering is no more? That this light and momentary affliction cannot, will not, has no power to define us in light of eternity, no matter what it may be. Now, the third thing that Paul argues is this. So first, he kind of tells you to put your suffering into perspective. The second thing he says is to, um, to believe in God's promises. And then third, he says for us to take our suffering and to live to glorify God in the midst of it. Have you ever considered that your suffering may be your greatest witness? This could be your greatest chance to share with somebody the gospel of Jesus Christ, this truth that you believe, this perspective that you have about suffering. Guys, I, I, you know, I spend a lot of time, you know, with different friends on the phone. Some are Christian, some are, some are not. Again, my, I love relationships with people. I mean, that is like, man, what I live for. Um, but I talk to a lot of people who are outside of Christ, and they have no handle on how to evaluate what's going on in the world right now. No ability. Because see, philosophy, psychology, whatever discipline you look at, and I spent a lot of time trying to find somebody that could explain suffering. The best that they can do is to tell you how to deal with your suffering, how to manage it the best that you can. Nobody's going to argue that you can get rid of suffering. Some might say embrace it. See, one of the things that's really interesting about Paul, somebody who talks about suffering a lot, Paul never once talks about how to abandon suffering, how to avoid suffering. Never once does he talk about that. Because they literally believed that persecution was growing them in Christ-likeness. I mean, they, they knew persecution was promised, and they literally believed that. I mean, so if we believe in God's truth and we find ourselves in the midst of suffering, we have an opportunity to share about our perspective with a world that desperately needs to hear it. I mean, beyond desperately. I mean, I talk to my friends that are not Christians that work in the medical field, and, and I'll ask them, how are you holding up? And they're like, I'm not. I'm not. I can't, I can't fix it. I can't explain it. And I cannot figure out what we're supposed to do. And I'm like, man, I want to help you understand an eternal perspective about the circumstance you found yourself in. Let's help people have a broader view of the suffering that's going on in the world. Paul opens this letter his second letter to the church in Corinth, really his third. And he says this, this is verse three. Talk about this perspective in suffering. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction 
so that we may be able to comfort those who are in, are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in his comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort from which you experience when you patiently endure the same suffering that we suffer. Our hope for you is an unshaken, for we know that you share in our suffering, you will also share in our comfort. What Paul says in his opening letter to the church in Corinth that is obviously going through some suffering, dealing with some situations, he says to them that you are comforted so that you may comfort others in their time of suffering. While you will experience suffering, your suffering may be your greatest opportunity to witness to the world. I mean, church, the, the world, again, and I'm not going to get into this, but the world doesn't need our opinions on everything. What they really need right now is our perspective on what is going on around us. And our, <laughs> and our perspective doesn't have so much to do even with the situation we find ourselves in. Our perspective is, about, is in light of eternity, that this light and momentary affliction that we find ourselves in will pale in comparison to the eternal glory we have in Christ. That is what we are offered. So, Paul ends this section of Scripture, which we already read, with a reminder. In verse 16, he says this, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. We're all dying. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal glory, a weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are unseen are transient, but the things that are, but the things that are, seen, or the things that are unseen are eternal. See, what Paul is encouraging us to do is to take heart. When you find yourself in the midst of suffering, when you find yourself going through a hard circumstance, no matter what it may be, that we take heart, that we place our suffering into perspective. He said, yes, you can, we can try to understand, okay, why is this going on to us? But what's even more important to that is to say, you know what? No matter what is going on to us, it cannot crush us. We will not be abandoned. In Christ, we have an eternal security that is promised to us by God. Do we have that perspective of suffering? Do we believe in God's promises? And then are we willing to say, you know what, in the midst of suffering, I'm going to glorify God. I'm going to take this opportunity in this season to glorify God in the midst of what I'm going through, trusting in him along the way. That's the perspective that he gives us. You know, one of my favorite stories, and I probably talk about it every other time I preach because I like it a lot, you know, um, is, is the author of the hymn, It Is Well. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with this, but Horatio Spafford, the great Chicago fire, he's a businessman. This is like 1870s. He loses all of his real estate businesses. Sends his wife and, da- sends his wife and daughters overseas. His three daughters die in a boat crash. So the man's lost all his businesses. All his daughters have died. He's on his way to meet his wife in Europe. And while he's traveling, he writes the poem, It is well with my soul that we know today. See, in Christ, we are promised 
an eternal security that makes our suffering pale in comparison to it. No matter what we may be going through, you will not be abandoned. You will not be persecuted. You will not be destroyed. So I want to leave us with two questions this morning. The first is this. What is your perspective of suffering? How do you view the suffering in your life? Do you view it with an eternal perspective? Do you see the things that are going on around you and you say that these things don't define me? That they may be edifying me in Christ's likeness, as Paul says. They may be developing endurance for me, but this suffering will not have the last word over me. That sickness can't, disease, wealth, nothing. That comfort is to comfort others and comforts from God, and suffering will not define us. Do you have that eternal perspective of the suffering that you find yourselves going through? And the second question that follows it up is this, how is God calling you to glorify him while suffering? If you find yourself in the midst of suffering, and again, guys, I don't say this lightly. I mean, if, if you saw things from our angle as a church leadership, there are a lot of people suffering in our congregation. And this is not Mitch Green saying, change the way you think about it. This is Mitch Green saying, I want to encourage you in the midst of your suffering. We talk to people all the time, you know, who are really suffering, really going through some hard things. And man, I hope that we can encourage them to have an eternal perspective. And man, so many of them are glorifying God in the midst of what they're going through. That's what suffering offers to us. That's the message that the world needs to hear. So place your suffering into perspective. Believe in God's promises. And I want to encourage you, those of you in this morning, in a moment I will pray, but if you're someone that you're like, you know what, I'm struggling with that belief side. Like that's really where I'm struggling, to say that I actually believe this to be true. I mean, come up front and talk to one of us. We'd love to talk with you more about that, you know, what it means to believe in God in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of the world that you see. And then third, speak the message of the gospel in the midst of your suffering to a world who desperately needs to hear it right now. So let's pray, um, and then we're going to continue on in our service with communion. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I am so thankful um, that our suffering will not have the last word. Um, God, that while, while every one of us in the room is experiencing suffering at differing degrees, um, that, Father God, you are in control. Um, God, that we can trust you in the midst of what we're going through. God, we thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross in our place. And that, Father God, in, in light of that, we may now experience eternal glory with you, Father. Father God, I pray for all of those in the room. I pray for all of those who are watching that, Father God, you would help us to have an eternal perspective in the midst of what we're going through. Father God, and I pray for those of us in the room that we may not be suffering right now, that, God, you would encourage us to take this perspective and carry it to a world that desperately needs to hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ. God, let the world hear your perspective in suffering, God, the hope that you offer. We pray all of these things in your son Jesus' name.
Amen.